0: I've always argued that the politics has been more polarised than the society, and and that Spanish society was less polarised than, say, British society by Brexit, or, or US society by Trump, or Brazilian society by Bolsonaro. But I do worry that that may well be changing now.
1: On July 23rd this year, Spaniards went to the polls in the third inconclusive snap race in about four years. The general election had been called by Socialist Prime Minister Pedro Sanchez following his party's thumping defeat at regional and local races two months prior. The two main opposition parties, the right-of-center Partido Popular and the right-wing Vox Party, overcame their bitter differences to form ad hoc coalitions and snatch a slew of regional governments from the ruling socialists in what was widely hailed a right-wing tsunami. But the national follow-up didn't deliver the landslide redux that was widely expected. The combined share of seats between PP and Vox rose to 172, yet four seats short, of being able to form a coalition government. The PP was the undisputed winner of the race, growing by 3 million votes and 47 seats, but far short of the absolute majority that its leader had boasted it could clinch on its own. Vox, meanwhile, lost 600,000 votes and 19 seats, mostly to abstention and to strategic voting for its more centrist competitor. Each party blamed the the other for failing to unseat Sanchez's Frankenstein coalition of socialists, communists, and separatists of all stripes, yet neither sensed at the time how worse the status quo could get. The socialists, meanwhile, remarkably held the line, notably by gaining ground to the very Catalan and Basque separatist parties they had been making concessions the previous Congress. Although the, San- the Sanchez coalition fell short of the 176 seat threshold too, a second mandate for Sanchez was within reach by pivoting to a new kingmaker party, Junspelsi the liberal separatist party of Catalonia's former president, Carles Puigdemont, who oversaw the region's illegal 2017 independence referendum, then flew to Brussels and has since served as a member of the European Parliament. The speculation soon turned on the prospect that Puigdemont would demand an amnesty for all those prosecuted for their involvement in the plebiscite in exchange for his party's seven votes. After months of hand-wringing, the Unionist camp's worst fears came true. In late October and early November, the socialists in Junts reached a deal that included amnesty, an amnesty broadly deemed unconstitutional by judges, prosecutors, other high-level civil service corps, as well as millions of Spaniards. This week, as the amnesty works its way through Parliament, we will unpack its effect on Spain's constitutional compact, as well as what it reveals about the country's heightening levels of polarisation. We're lucky to have with us back on the show Michael Reid, a longtime Spain correspondent for The Economist and recently the author of a great book, Spain, the Trials and Triumphs of a Modern European Country. On the other end of the line, we have William Chislett, a former Madrid correspondent for The Times of London and currently an Emeritus Senior Research Fellow at the Elcano Royal Institute. Now, you may have realized that the new season has seen us slow the pace somewhat, with episodes being published no longer on a weekly basis. This is partly a constraint imposed by our full-time job commitments on our freelance ability to produce the show, but we also hope it will give each episode time to reach more people and have a greater impact. Meanwhile, we are exploring new audiovisual formats to expand the scope of our content and have it shared more widely. As always, please rate and review Uncommon Decency on Apple Apple Podcasts or the platform of of your choice. And send us your comments or questions either on Twitter at UndecencyPod or by email at UndecencyPod at gmail.com. And please consider supporting the show through Patreon to get the full version of the episode at patreon.com forward slash UndecencyPod. Enjoy the episode. So uh today we are privileged uh to have with us two longtime Spain watchers uh, whose interest in in the country stretches, you know, as far back as a transition to democracy, if not further back. And um and uh, just to get to get us started with this conversation, uh, we're really curious to to hear from Michael and and William. Uh uh, you know how they've uh how how they're sensing the the levels of polarization that we're seeing in Spain at the moment uh you know we're seeing broad swaths of the electorate flooding the streets deeming this newly formed socialist led minority government illegitimate uh and the left uh for its part is raising the spectrum of far right you know violence so do you, f- from your experience having lived in Spain having Observed uh, observe the country for 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 decades now. Uh, are we witnessing unprecedented levels of polarization, or is it just that the polarization that preexisted this crisis has merely sort of migrated onto the Catalan question, starting with michael
0: well, um I'm observing this uh, from London um uh, I was in Madrid in september, but um uh, I've been following it from here and certainly the um the level of mobilization the opposition seems to be very high and in particular the demonstration uh uh last saturday in madrid was enormous clearly um and i think it's quite clear that um the issue of the amnesty and especially the circumstances in which it is being presented um have uh divided the country very deeply probably more deeply than um at any point since the two thousand and four election uh, when uh as you will remember uh there was the, uh, the terrorist bombs on the eve of the election which um, uh prime minister Azna uh, attempted to blame on uh Etta, and um they were in fact uh caused by islamist um uh, radicals and um and uh, both sides And the socialists won the election uh, unexpectedly as a result of the bombings, which highlighted how um, uh, unpopular uh, Asna's support for the U.S. invasion of Iraq had been. And both parties, both main parties, kind of mistrusted each other over those elections. I think this is the worst um, polarization since then. I think it in, in some ways goes deeper, actually, and that's worrying. And I think it does call into question um the uh uh the future of Spain, perhaps uh
1: so is is this indeed uh william is this indeed a deeper form of, of polarization? The Catalan question is nothing uh really truly new right i mean what what is it that we're witnessing now that's truly uh 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 newsworthy well yeah, I agree it is
2: a deeper polarization, but I think it's worth pointing out that spanish society uh maybe this is changing has um, certainly until now been nowhere near as polarized as a political class. Um, I, of course, am viewing this from Madrid, which we should remember is very much a bastion of the PP. They've ruled it at various levels um, for a long time. There have been plenty of mass protests in the rest of Spain as well, but the Madrid one was particularly um, huge and actually not particularly far away from where I live. I live pretty well in the center of Madrid.
0: Yeah, I think William, I would say I've always argued that the politics has been more polarised than the society, and and the Spanish society was less polarised than say British society by Brexit, or or US society by Trump, or Brazilian society by Bolsonaro. But I do worry that that may well be changing now, and that this issue, I hear anecdotically, uh, anecdotically, um, is dividing families and you know people have. Choosing not to talk about it with friends and families, which is uh, if that's why spread, would be a worrying sign.
2: Yeah, well, that would that hooks in to some extent to one of the other questions, which is about the generational um, cleavage here. Um, polls have showed that roughly forty percent, depending which poll you see, mm-hmm. of socialist supporters are against the amnesty, and this tends to be mainly elder more elderly socialist than the younger generation or perhaps um the generation that experience the transition as opposed to the generations that really don't actually know very much about the transition which has always been one of my complaints that the edgy teaching of history and spanish history in spain is fairly um abysmal they don't do much if anything at all that's not to say that if they were more queued up about the um the, the transition the constitution that we feel them out in the street um but i think the thing is turning into be a view from here anyway and seeing what's being written in the foreign press a bit more
3: apocalyptic than it really is um, michael on this generational thing it's quite interesting because um there is indeed as william points out a generational divide in in polls but also generational a in, you know, the socialist politicians with the kind of old guard being much more uh, reserved on the deal with the uh, Catalan separatists, whereas the kind of younger rank and file seem to be much more unanimous in their supports and perhaps even seeing it as a gesture of fence mending and reconciliation. Are um, you worried that you know the spirits of loyalty? That followed the 1978 constitution when you get a republic again in Spain. Do you think that feeling of kind of togetherness is doomed to fade as you know generations of Spaniards move away from 1978?
0: I'm not sure. I mean, I think it's worth I would like to see a, a much more detailed breakdown of some of the um uh, some of the polls in terms of um what kind of people are or, or, or on each side of this issue. I would say that. I think it's a little misleading that the people on the socialist side who have spoken out against this tend to be the older generation like Felipe González and so on, because in a sense they have nothing to lose Um, and because they're outside day-to-day politics. I think one of the many things we've seen over this issue is the way in which uh, party leaders, and particularly Pedro Sanchez, have a kind of Stalinist degree of control over their parties. And that's because of um, what uh, we're built into the political system, like the timing of transition, that um, uh, you have a, a closed party list at the election from the party leaders pick few candidates. Kind of like, um So there isn't much internal democracy in the main parties. And I think uh, there's, there's less now than there was in the past, particularly in the socialist party. So many people whom one knows, younger people in the socialist party, who one knows um, are worrying about the amnesty uh, uh, and the part between the socialists and junts, uh, don't speak out because the instinct and all the incentives at the moment is to rally around the leader, and Pedro Sanchez um, I think I think we do need to step back a little bit. And look at what the problem is here. I mean, when well, I, 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 I think it's important to say that Spanish justice on the Catalan question has moved so slowly and disproportionately that uh, there is a problem. Six years on, does it really help to jail more Catalan politicians? I think it doesn't, frankly. And I think the ideal solution would be either more pardoned or um, or some way in which uh, the courts realise that it may be much more constructive simply to disqualify them from office and perhaps impose fines where there has been you're spending your public money than not to jail any more politicians. But that is not the reason you know, Pedro Sanchez is doing it. He's doing what? Be- as we all know, because he needed the uh, six votes from Junts in the Congress of Deputies in order to be uh, invested as um, Prime Minister again. Now, when we talk about polarisation, I think it's important to remember, too, that in the uh, election of uh, July, which brought all the situation about, the bigger picture was that the vote for... Optimist movements of various kinds is declining, and that applies to what uh, was Podemos and was now Sumra on the far left. It applies to Vox on the far right, and it applies to the Catalan separatist parties as well. And um, the total vote share of the Socialists and the PP, which had been 82% in 2011, declined to 49% in 2011. Uh, in uh, the election of uh, 2019, and it's back up over 60%. And y- there is a poll which shows that um, a majority in Spain would like the two main parties to collaborate. So the question is, why don't they? And that is a big question, but I think will only get louder in the next few years, you say. Uh,
2: no, I agree with that. I was going to say that Michael is a Pointed out importantly that the there's more support as a result of the last election for the sort of the two-partisan which has been steadily declining. And then it goes up a bit and it's now quite a bit higher, but still far from that that eighty odd percent uh, quite a long time ago. One thing about the results that uh, maybe hasn't been picked up very much is that over twenty percent of people who cast their votes voted either for a party, Vox, that wants to basically get rid of the autonomous system and re-centralize or voted for Catalan and Basque parties that want uh, independence. Um, so it's a real... I mean, this is a hugely complex country um, to run, and I think it's becoming more and more complex. I have um, written, God, ad, ad infinitum, that this country needs a you know, cliché, cliché, German-style um government you know in the sense of a grand coalition um between the socialists and the pp and most people look at me as if i live on another planet um i recently read a book by the hispanist jb trend who are uh, on this kind of it, it was published in 1944 <laughs> he says and i quote him uh he's talking about uh not obviously things we are but he's talking about why can't why is there such a deep gulf between parties and they can't really get their act together in the interest of the country as a whole? And he says, people of Spanish origin have always regarded their politics as a moral question and one of which is no possibility at all of concession. And I think that per- pertains to what we're discussing today. Um, they are miles apart in the debate where Feuho, um predictably failed to become prime minister, either by absolute majority or by um, simple majority, had there been abstentions and there weren't any, the uh, lady MP from the Canary Island Coalition said, and I quoted then: why do you hate each other so much? Uh, which got picked up considerably in the press. And what she was saying was, you know, political leaders here treat their rivals...
1: Not as adversaries, but as enemies of the nation. Um, yes, um, yes, and, and I think you're 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 both sort of weaving an an, an argument that I want to that I want to uh, zero in now, um, Michael. You've you've mentioned, um, and I think this is a very sensible point. Um, you know, should the Spanish state abandon the sort of the judicial route, the ju- judicial method uh, through which it has uh, sought to um, to to tackle the Catalan question? But I think the, the question on a lot of people's minds in Spain and the rest of Spain is whether this uh, this sort of uh, whether well this, this amnesty deal will it really have the healing effect that its supporters uh vulgar, it, it will will it really applicate the, the ambitions of the, the secessionist leaders. Um I mean I, I think the 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 main concern uh for a lot of the voters on uh you know to to the right of the center is that we're actually like, through this amnesty we're actually uh going down a slippery slope that there will be a repeat referendum that this is not uh that this is not a w- the way to handle it unless we actually want Catalonia to be independent. Uh, how do you respond uh to this?
0: Yeah I mean um I think no. The first issue is is does the constitution allow an amnesty? And the um overwhelming majority of constitutionalist experts um uh, argued still until the last three months that it didn't. That and that the references in the constitutional tribunal's um judgments on these matters all refer back to the amnesty of nineteen seventy-seven which was prior to the constitution, and which was part of the transitional set settlement. Uh, so that is an important question. But I think I think an amnesty, one could argue that it's potentially politically legitimate uh, as a tool, but that I think it has to pass three tests. One is that it is clearly in the national interest um, and not for a sexual interest. Um, Secondly, that it commands a broad consensus of both political and public opinion. And thirdly, that the beneficiaries in return for the amnesty declare their loyalty to the constitution. And the problem with this proposed amnesty is that it fails all of those tests. And we will see whether it gets through the constitutional tribunal, which is It is said has a so-called progressive majority, in other words, uh, 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 a majority that sympathizes with the socialists. But even then, I'm not sure that they will necessarily approve it. And then there is the other question of, we've had two important documents in the past um, two or three weeks published in Spain. The first one is the draft of the Amnesty Bill. And the second one is a political pact signed by the Socialist Party and Junts, uh, Carlos Puigdemont's party. And that second document is really pretty shabby and shameful. And in it, um, there is a long section about, uh, which narrates the history of uh, what has happened in Catalonia between 19, uh, between 1714 and uh, 2017, when the uh, unconstitutional referendum was held. And that narrative is... Um, just propaganda. Uh, it's it's separatist propaganda. And uh, the father of the Soviet Party stung that document is for me an abject surrender in the battle of idea, you know? And uh, uh and also the document also commits to bring an international media a media sorry, um which was an the to Pedro Sanchez until now. And um all of this, I think, will simply increase cynicism about politics in Spain because Sanchez did not and this goes back to my point about uh the legitimacy of the amnesty or not um and you know he did not campaign on this at all and uh he didn't prepare the public for it um public opinion as we've as we've been discussed is the, um, there's quite a strong majority against it um and so I think the effect will be to increase cynicism amongst Spaniards towards their politicians, which is already pretty high, and that I think is dangerous for the future of Spanish democracy.
1: Yes, uh, and and William, uh, I want I want to come to you, um, but I think you know Michael mentioned something really interesting. If we sort of try to look at this issue from the from an outside. Uh, Looking in a uh, lens, um uh, you know people think of amnesty as as a way to solve sort of extraordinary problems, and I think it's pretty evident to people outside of Spain that this is not an extraordinary situation that this is a um that this is a way for sanchez to uh to clinch another mandate um. What? How do you how do you see the the the, the situation with Catalonia evolving? I mean, do you think this is a slippery slope, or do you think Sanchez claims that this will uh, mend fences, that the, this will foster a better form of coexistence, and that we're actually headed for uh, for better uh, for a, a better form of uh, relations? I just want to
2: pick up a couple of points um, on the amnesty, and one of the problems is the Constitution doesn't mention the word at all, which has led uh, lawyers to have something of a field day in their different interpretations. And one reason um, that it doesn't mention the word amnesty is because the 78 constitution came, followed the 1977 amnesty that benefited many jailed members of the terrorist group ETA, many of whom with blood on their hands, and the fathers of the Constitution, which you know represented a broad spread of Spanish politics at that time. Felt that it was inadmissible to uh, put the word amnesty into the constitution because this might have run the risk of um, ETA violence after the constitution. You know, ending up with being amnestied. We shouldn't forget that under Franco, there were forty-three uh, people killed by ETA. And after Franco died, 786 people were assassinated by ETA. So I think the Fathers of the Constitution maybe had it right. Uh, Mike is totally right on mentioning that um, Sanchez has never mentioned, well, he, if he mentions it at all. He didn't include amnesty in his electoral campaign. But then again, uh, how many times have we seen politicians changing their minds almost overnight? Uh, when circumstances change and they don't get the results that they thought they might get. Uh, And Sanchez is quite good at changing his mind. After all, this is a man who said he wouldn't get into bed with Podemos, with Pablo Iglesias, and 24 hours after the um, 2019 results, um, there he was embracing Pablo Iglesias. Uh, And uh, one thing that I think hasn't been sufficiently... Um, highlighted in the infamous political statement between Hunts and the socialists is this reference to Article 92 of the Constitution, um, which basically says that a referendum can be held in agreement with the government uh, throughout Spain and under, if necessary, what they call an organic law. There have been multiple interpretations of what this means. My understanding is that it means a negotiated amnesty uh, throughout the whole of Spain. And I'm told by one of the founders of the um, Catalan Civil Society that I spoke to last night, as an old friend, that in fact, it was Junts that put this into the text, because it is always believed that the government has the right, basically, he's referring to the Sanchez government, to um come up with something that would be to the liking of junts and also uh republicana, although it's a bit more pragmatic than maximalist um junts uh by the the organic law reference could well mean that somehow the government skates round the fact that it has to be held in Spain or whatever anyway uh it's a very complicated situation um. As to whether this is going to heal anything in Catalonia, I think the Socialists are banking on winning the Catalan election in 2025. I think it is. the The Socialists there did very well in the um, general elections. They, from memory, they returned 19 MPs to uh, Madrid, considerably more than uh, they had in the previous election, and uh, their roughly their combined votes are the same as the, sorry, roughly the votes of the Socialists equal roughly the combined votes of Junts and uh, Esquerra Republicana. Um, socialist victory in 2025, and it seems an awful long away, is, isn't is in itself going to solve anything, but um, I think it would be, if it happens, would be very positive. The so, previous Socialist governments in Catalonia, I think, are to some extent responsible for the situation we've got into by sort of, um, how can I put it, not being particularly, um, well, we too open maybe to the independence um, groups, which some time ago were not as active as they became in 2017. The opinion polls show, the one put out by the Catalan government, that support for independence is ebbing. Uh, and there are far more other important issues, one of which, by the way, came up this week. The drought now is really getting a grip in Catalonia, and they've it, got a huge problem of a lack of water in various areas. You know, these are basic bread and butter issues as opposed to independence. How many people still believe that if Catalonia independence are going to go off into some kind of, you know, wonderful, um, rosy, separate country that's going to solve all its problems uh, just by being independent remains to be seen one's reminded there a bit of Brexit. But anyway, I'll hand over to Mike.
0: I, I agree with that. Um, I I think um, it's clear that support for um, separation on Catalonia is, um, is slowly ebbing. I mean, there's still 40% in favor, depending on how you ask the question, uh, 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 at least 40% in favor, which is quite a lot. Um, I think the other factor is that what 2017 demonstrated is that no government in Europe is remotely interested in welcome, welcoming Catalonia as a, a as a new and additional member of the European Union, no? and nobody wants to see um, uh, a nation states broken up. And that um, uh, I think there's more awareness of that now in Catalonia than there was in the past. And I mean, Sanchez's argument is, that uh, what there are two arguments and we should address them. Yeah? One is that this will um, kind of calm things down in Catalonia. One could argue they were already calmed down. One could also worry that jailing more people would have um, inflamed things again. Um, and the, the same poll that William just mentioned found that in Catalonia, 60% are in favor of uh, the, the amnesty. Um, but I think there's a um there's a bigger question here That um Sanchez's need to stay in power has led him to um consistently cede more and more powers to uh, Basque and Catalan regional um administrations and there's likely to be more of that um uh, uh, uh uh, in in the next 4 years if he stays in office for 4 years and the, the, his predecessor the socialist uh, leader um Alfredo Pérez rua Carval, once said that um it's quite hard for Catalonia and um the Basque country to leave Spain but it's quite easy to take Spain out of Catalonia and the Basque country and and that's what's been happening and it, and you know there's been another kind of um jump in that um um now um now salt second argument, and it's been the most prominent political argument that he has used is that um uh is that all of this is preferable to having Vox being anywhere near the Spanish government right that um uh, being a minor a minority partner of a PP government or whatever. And, well, personally, I think um, Vox is bad news for Spain. I think it's bad news, not least because it makes it much harder for the PP to win a majority and to govern again. Uh, I think it's, uh, uh, in some ways, an an undemocratic force. So it clearly represents a segment of Spanish society. But is it the only ill in Spanish politics? And I would argue that it isn't. and that. Sánchez has been happy to normalise EH uh, e. Bildu, the party, uh, the successor party to ETA, and he's done that, and he ramped up that normalisation another notch um, in in this investiture process by personally meeting the um, uh, representatives from 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 Bildu. But builder is a party which hasn't yet made a full critique and apology for terrorism. It's gone some way, and that's important, but it hasn't gone far enough. And you look at Ireland, for example, and although the IRA uh, gave up violence 10 years before ETA, um, there is still a cordon sanitaire around Sinn Féin in Southern Ireland, right? In in Ireland. Um, And... um, you know why shouldn't why should there be a cordon sanitaire around Vox and not around builder for example, or not around Juntos? You know these are issues which um, Sanchez is uh, skating over. Let's say.
2: Yeah, I, on the autonomous issue, I think this, assuming Sanchez' last four years, this government really has to be, amongst other things, the government that changes various aspects of the regional system here. I mean, the problem is that the two main parties, Socialist and BP, are terrified of opening up the constitution and making any changes for fear of triggering a sort of Pandora's box of demands, But which has led to a feeling that amongst the population that, you know, we have a constitution here that's kind of sort of set in cement, which it shouldn't be. Uh, there have been only two amendments in the past 45 years to Spain's, constitution, and both of them were to please the EU on economic matters, if I remember correctly. In comparison, France's Fifth Republic has amended since 1958 its constitution 24 times, and Germany's basic laws changed 62 times since 1949. Um, there's been endless talk here over the decades about doing something about the Senate, which quite frankly is a pretty useless body, and which by the way is now very much in the hands of the PP as a result of the election in July, uh, and they're going to do as much as they can to slow down the passage of the amnesty law, but they they, well, they can prolong it, but they're not going to have the last word. It just goes back to the Congress, and the Congress will approve it. Um. The constitution here defines the Senate as a a territorial body, which it really isn't. It's a basically dumping ground for sort of ancient politicians who've served the party well in various regions. Uh and then it also elects um the the majority, but it's 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 a pretty useless body. And I really think that um they have the time has come. These elections have shown and the situation have shown that the regional system is is not here for good. The whole, but it's an absolute mess. The whole financing system, which was supposed to have been reformed under Rajoy, if I remember well, in 2014, I think. In fact, there was a deadline in 2014, but it was just passed. He didn't do anything about it. And all these issues are now blowing up areas like regions like Valencia feel particularly aggrieved that they do badly for the from the financing system, and on and on. Um, and I don't think this is something that can be left ad infinitum with each government saying, yes, yes, they're gonna do something and, and, and nothing happens. Would a reformed Senate really representing
3: the regions take the heat out of Catalonia? Well, perhaps it would. Hi there, if you want to listen to the rest of the episode, where we go into further detail on the separatism in Catalonia, the European dimension of this crisis, and perhaps is there a way out of this crisis for Spain. You can join us on our Patreon for as little as five euros a month. Otherwise, you'll have to just join us in the outro in a second. So, we are done with the interview, Uh, Michael and William just left, it's just for both of us, Jorge, Uh, just like the good old days, Um, sorry Julian, but, so, interesting topic, it is, you know, as a French Jacobin, so to speak, seeing how regionalism can split a country apart is, for me, quite shocking. And the concessions that Sanchez has made in that it just seemed impossible for me to comprehend the sacrifice he's doing um, in the name of, you know, staying power for what, another six months to 12 months. His coalition is probably not going to hold that long, given how complicated the whole thing is. But it made me think of something I read actually in the in the figure of a few a few weeks ago, talking about, about this issue. Um Essentially, it was talking about how what happened in Spain over the last 20, 30 years was essentially encouraging some ethno-regionalist one-upmanship because Catalonia already had benefits. Uh, the Basque country already had economic advantages. And what that meant is those areas within Spain had undue advantages given because of its distinct regional identity. What you're creating essentially is by giving, you know, by overlaying regional identities with administrative units and increased aut- autonomy that other regions don't have. You are just kind of turbocharging the potential for, for damage in in a country like Spain. And again, I was thinking about um, uh, Scotland, was thinking about Corsica. These 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 areas are watching very closely what's going on. Uh, but watching in two areas. One, they're hoping the Catalonia will win because it will kind of turbocharge their cause. And two, they're kind of watching what the European Union will do. There's a kind of temptation within the EU to, you know, cut the middleman between the EU and the regions, you know, kind of go back to, to some extent, go back to 15th century or, or 12th century vision of Europe, where you get the kind of Europe of regions and, and provinces. Um, the issue of that, of course, is you're you're returning to some form of tribalism and and you damage the the national unit, which is so important in democracy, which is so important in building some social cohesion. Um, and I I wish actually the EU took a much more forceful role, saying you know a bit like with Brexit, saying you know if you leave, uh, you will be in the back of the queue, so to speak. And in this situation, I feel, it probably needs to step up because again, uh, on the you, you'll know more about this than I do, but some of the um, uh rule of law you know sanchez is breaking basically all of them um and it seems like there is not much of a reaction in brussels over this so i know it's for me it's, it's incredibly shocking and i'm hoping this is not unleashing a kind of uh warm-upmanship game of uh, ethno regional identity
1: yes um well i think um well, just a just a clear one point. I mean, I think um, the uh, the 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 term that you've used, this ethno uh, regionalism, to which you refer, I think it really really applies pretty well uh, historically, at least to the Basque country, but not so much to Catalonia. You know, the, the Basque nationalist movement historically through the writings of, of one of its uh, one of its um, um, one of its bound um, leaders, uh, you know, explicitly made reference to the supposed existence of a Basque race. And he really hugged this sort of idea that you know, we Basques have a, have a different have a different blood, you know, negative B. Uh, so he even sort of like, uh, he he was even into sort of phrenology, right? He thought he thought that vast people had different uh, uh, crane forms, right? The form, um, different uh, forms of a uh, uh, different phenotype, right? Just different faces, different physiognomy. Um, I think in, in Catalonia's case, that's not been so much the case. Maybe perhaps there's been a lot more uh, mixture um, between uh, the populations historically. But t- to your question about the EU kind of uh, stage. You know, I I kind of have contradictory feelings when it comes to, you know, on, on one hand, I think these regionalist movements are definitely leeching off and benefiting from the EU in major ways. I mean, you got to realize that for one thing, there is the committee of the regions within the EU, right? So the EU itself is built on the idea that the regions themselves should play a role in EU lawmaking, and these regional presidents and regional vice presidents go and sit in, I think, monthly meetings in Brussels at this Committee of the, the Regions. There's obviously a whole lot of EU funding that it goes through, that; it's routed through to the regions. Uh, um, th- this is the the whole idea of the regional cohesion money is to give money to the regions. So this is really propped up, and this is really sort of nurtured. The regionalist movements in in Catalonia and the Basque Country, for sure, for sure. And these nationalist movements, by the way, are very pro-European, which I think is ironic because, as Michael said, the EU is explicitly saying, or at least through most of its member states, states is explicitly saying, we will not take you in, because if you co- if if you come in as a new member state, that opens a Pandora's box, as you have called it. For all for for a whole new slate of, of, of um, uh, new regions to to uh, secede and to to try to seek to join the union, um, but what is really interesting is, you know, what is uh, and this is sort of a way to kind of pivot back towards something that we've discussed is what is the role of the EU in a crisis like this? I mean, I think. Look, I think. Uh, you got to realize that Spaniards the Spanish population has been one of the most europhile populations in the EU's history we've had levels of support for european integration above 80% for most of our democratic history ever since we joined in 86 we've been most we've been one of the most europhile uh, societies I think that's probably going to start a change as people on the right and on the center start to see the EU fail to act against the rule of law backsliding under Sanchez, who is willing to undermine and even to eradicate the constitutional foundations of the state just to cling to power through seven votes. Um, Mm -hmm. Um, I'm not saying that you're, that Spain is all of a sudden going to turn into a Eurosceptic country, uh, not at all. But there was a plenary debate on Wednesday in in the European Parliament where the Commissioner for Justice, Didier Reinders, uh, essentially just said, you know, we are watching closely what is happening in Spain, but not offering any sort of concrete action or next steps as to what his department will do to try and make sure that, that Sanchez uh, passes. A, a look. The draft version of the bill that was filed uh, two weeks ago in Parliament, the, the Amnesty Bill, which is now being, which is now going to be sort of looked at and examined and amended and negotiated over, and then eventually some version of it will pass. But th- already, the original draft that was submitted is just a frontal assault on the Constitution. I mean, it creates, as Michael said in the um, uh, in the green room. Lawfare committees. Let me just take a couple, uh, one minute to explain. Um, this amnesty bill would create parliamentary commissars committees, tasked with granting the amnesty, sitting above judges. So this is essentially subordinating the judges to the parliament. This is a clear breach of the separation of powers. Um, all of the, uh, all of like all every single association of judges regardless of ideological persuasion has come out against the Amnesty Bill has said that this will either erode the rule of law or eradicate the rule of law. So, um, what is Europe going to do about it? You know, um, um, you know, it's the Europe has seemed to be very, very quick to chastise and to beat up and to, with a cudgel, uh, the governments of Poland and Hungary and maybe even Bulgaria, Romania, in some instances, uh, but what is happening with spain is the eu going to act against a left-wing form of democratic backsliding okay two things one
3: i think is interesting that this is happening at the moment where political separatism in catalonia is also starting to ebb a little bit this is something we pointed out in the conversation but it is you know kind of tragic to see those concessions are being made of a moment where these movement are movements are losing somewhat some steam. Um and on top of that, I also find it so interesting that there is in all of this kind of flurry of language about autonomy and rest of this, um there is fundamentally also just immense selfishness. Um this you know, essentially what we're talking about to some extent is Areas within a country which are actually slightly richer than the average, who no longer want to pay the kind of uh, the taxes to the kind of solidarity you have within the country, and you know whether, whether this feeling for independence autonomy is sincere. You can't think that you know if Catalonia was much poorer as it has been in the past, uh, you wouldn't be hearing this kind of narrative because the money would be coming in the other way. So. You know, it's something that works in 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 Scotland as well, and which is also why you see you know this kind of independence movements only kind of emerging in areas of Europe where actually they tend to be a little better off or at least just as well off as the average. When those areas are being supported financially by the by the um, centre, um, then all of a sudden the
1: conversation changes quite dramatically. Yes, and I think the the irony about this whole separatist movement, you're you're totally right to point out that this is tragic. That this is happening as just as the separate, the secessionist uh, cause is losing ground. But in, in terms of the financials, I mean, I think people are just like bewildered that on one hand, the secessionist movement, both in its center, centrist liberal variant, right, Juns Pelci, the party of Carles Puigdemont, and on its left wing, you know, sort of, um, you know, anti like Republican, uh, sort of um uh, variant, which is Esquerra Republicana these two parties have um have uh have for for a long time have claimed that Catalonia Catalonia is is uh is is um is is not getting uh is sort of like uh being uh you know uh, leached off by Spain that Catalonia is is uh, as a rich wealthy and productive uh, part of the country is funding the unproductive and lazy uh, people in Andalusia and Extremadura. This has been a key part of their discourse. And yet, as part of the, of the negotiations with PSOE, you know what they're actually asking? They've already secured 15 billion euros of their debt to be condoned by the Spanish government. And that that's what's already been agreed as part of the deal that was struck between the Socialists and uh, uh Yes. Well, Esquerra, well, with Esquerra, they managed to have 15 billion uh, euros condoned of their debt. With Junts, Junts is asking for 73 billion to be condoned over the course of this Congress. So it's like, you know, you are you claim to be a wealthy nation that is being free written on, right? Right. Um, uh, and, and by the way, we, we should really look into how Catalonia has grown into being what it is. I mean, Catalonia's growth in the 19th century to the point where it became one of the, the second wealthiest nation of the country actually owes a lot to the fact that Spain as a whole imposed tariffs to protect Catalonian textile. The, the Catalonian textile industry. And those tariffs impoverished the, the rest of Spain because people couldn't buy these cheaper textiles from Portugal and from the UK because we were protecting this industry that was exclusively located in Catalonia. So um look if Catalonia has grown to be the second wealthiest region of the country, Spain has certainly played a role in that. Um, so yes, um but the financials um the financials were, were an interesting part.
3: Well, thanks a lot, Jorge. Um, really important moment in Spanish history going on at the moment, and I'm really happy we took the time to cover this in depth. Um, if you want to listen to the full episode where we talk about whether we could see Spain as we know it disappear, whether we also talk about the protests and whether they have any shots at slowing down this this process, you can join us in on our Patreon where we have a full episode available um so if you want to support the show and have a bit more content of us um please join us on this section